Uh, so in your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be there for a portion of our time together. We're going to kind of break the message in two. I'm going to talk a little bit through Philippians 4, verses 6 through 9. And then I'm just going to kind of talk practically to you. What can this look like in our everyday life? So kind of split the message into two pieces, if you will. And then we'll wrap up with the last verse in Philippians. Um, but just to kind of briefly touch on what we uh, hit last week in Psalm 23, we learn that God is indeed a good shepherd, that he can meet our every need, that he is a good shepherd, and what more could we possibly want? And we learned that Jesus knows our every need and that he can address our every need. Everything we could possibly need could be addressed with the gospel. And also that Jesus is beside us in our darkest valley. He's actually really close and near. And in our moments of anxiety, we forget that God is actually a close, near, and attentive. But usually we think that he's distracted or he's late or distant. But he's actually with us in our darkest valley, right beside us. We also discovered that Jesus may not remove the danger, but he does help us overcome. So uh, this uh, passage in uh, Philippians is going to be verses chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. And Paul's speaking to the church in Philippi, and he says this, Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. The statistics that we can read up on anxiety are quite staggering. There's a lot of them. Um, it's said that this current generation of teens and children suffer from more mental health problems than any other generation of kids in American history. So I can't like truly fathom the pressures that you all face in a day. I know what it's like to be a high schooler, uh, specifically a high schooler at Liberty High School, but I don't really understand what it's like for you today, though. See, when I went to school, um, I could have a bad day. I could have an embarrassing moment. I could have uh, just a very bad day, to say the least. And I could go home and come back, and for the most part, my day would kind of start over. But with you, there's this pressure that it kind of follows you. If you have a bad day, if you have an embarrassing moment, it kind of follows you home because of social media that we're always incredibly connected. And in some unfortunate situations, there may even be an instance where someone has actually caught footage of your bad day. Or maybe that there's actually a bully and the bullying doesn't stop from, from in-person to, to digital. And that follows you. And that's I can't imagine the pressures that you all face knowing that, that no wonder we're anxious. It's because there's a fear of something always following us or that we're, we're never truly just allowed to just be alone. 
No wonder we're anxious. There's a number of statistics about just saying how anxious we are. Uh, I read them over the middle schoolers, and honestly, I could just sum it up with we're anxious, a lot of us. I will share one statistic, though, and it's the one that kind of took me back the most, was that the average child today experiences the same level of anxiety as a psychiatric patient did in the 1950s. It's the average child today. And we're trying to operate out of this anxiety and out of just trying to carry on a normal life when we're actually just very stressed. We're very stretched. We're very worried. I've had my battles with depression and anxiety. I surrounded myself with people who knew me before, knew me during, and wanted to see me get better. Thankfully for me, mine was short-lived, and some of you, um, that's not been the case. But like we mentioned last week, thankfully we have doctors and medicine to help treat chemical imbalances. Um, some people may even shame you for being on medicine, thinking that you, being a Christian, uh, ought to have more faith, that you should pray more, that you should read your Bible more, fast more, and there are times for that, but there, that's not always going to be the case. Some, for those that say that medication is a lack of faith, I hope that, uh, that, that say that I hope you pray more, read more, fast more, I hope that they do all those things whenever they have a headache, upset stomach, or diarrhea. There's actually a good gift that we have in medicine, and we're able to use that to, to better ourselves. And so let's not shame anyone because they have chemical imbalances that can be treated today with medicine. Because the reality is that we, we all want and desire peace. We just want peace in our life. And for some of you to just think like, if you could have peace of mind in your world, if you could just have peace of mind, that would be an incredible gift. I want to, touch briefly on the context of what we're walking into in Philippians. One of my favorite books of the Bible, Paul is writing to his church, his beloved church, and these people that Paul is writing to have much to be anxious about. Paul is where when he's writing this letter? He's in prison, and he's awaiting the verdict, if he's going to live or to die, and Paul is writing to his church, and he loves his church, and they love him, and they're waiting for the verdict, and so they have much to be anxious about. Their spiritual father, their friend in Paul may end up dying for the faith. So the church is anxious about the outcome of a dear friend and example. And on top of that, within the church, inside of that church, people were pushing their own agendas and there was some disunity and strife happening in the most stressful of times. Things kept piling up, bad situation after bad situation after bad situation. And now in Philippians, Paul is kind of wrapping up this letter with what sounds like just a lots of bullet points in a list, he's telling the church, I want you to rejoice. I want you to be gentle. I want you to, to not worry. I want you to pray. Think good thoughts. Do good deeds. 
And as he does this, Paul fires off every piece of parting advice to this beloved church. So the list at the end of this passage that we read may seem random or even think that this is something that your parents would say to you. But this is just showing like the, the, the affection that Paul has for these people, not knowing if he will see them again or not. These people have much to be anxious about. So Paul has some advice for them in moments of anxiety. If you're taking notes, we're gonna have um, three points up front. We're gonna talk practically. They're gonna wrap it up with one more issue from Paul here. So the first point that Paul is gonna address to us in moments of anxiety is to pray in everything. Pray in everything. Verse six says, don't worry about anything but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Something that you need to know about me, something that you may even be able to identify with, is I think about the things in my life that aren't well, that aren't going right, things that I'm actually anxious about. I think about those things a lot. So much so that I actually fool myself into thinking that I've actually prayed about those things when I actually haven't. I've just worried about them. And they just keep cycling in my mind. And I just keep thinking about it. I keep thinking of those, like we talked about last week, those worst case scenarios, those negative futures that haven't actually happened yet. I just keep worrying about things. All in the while, I have not actually consciously prayed about it. Paul's saying, I don't want you to worry about it. I want you to pray about it. One pastor would say, if you have time to pray or if you have time to worry about it, you have time to pray about it. Paul's saying, I want you to pray in everything. See, our anxiety must be addressed through prayer. Our anxiety must be addressed through prayer. I mean, what a gift we have in prayer. We have access to the Father. And if we have things going on, if we are worried, if we're anxious, if we're drawing these, these worst case scenarios and we're operating at those as if they're true, man, we should, we should talk to God about that. And Paul gives us some great advice later on in the chapter to think about. Think about what's true. Think about what's lovely, what's excellent, admirable, commendable, worthy of praise. Think about those things. So Paul's telling us to pray in everything. The second point that Paul wants us to know about anxieties, he says that prayer brings peace, not necessarily answers. There are times in prayer, God certainly does answer our prayers. I've had moments where God has absolutely answered my prayers, but more often than not, through my prayers, God brings peace through whatever circumstance he throws my way. He doesn't fix the circumstance immediately but he does deliver peace. Prayer brings peace, not necessarily answers. See, think about it. Fear and anxiety can't live in a heart that's devoted to prayer. Why? Because our gaze is fixed upon God, not our swirling thoughts. We are transfixed on the person that holds outcomes in the palm of their hand. I mean, think how comforting that is, that we're, we're just like thinking about the outcomes or we can think about the person that holds the outcomes in their hand. 
whenever we fix our thoughts, we fix our eyes, our affections on God, we are able to surrender those anxious feelings, those anxious thoughts. Prayer brings peace, not necessarily answers. One of the ways that I exercised this in my own walk with the Lord was that I noticed that my prayers were so distracted that I couldn't actually finish a prayer because I was so distracted, whether that was because of anxiety or whether that was just because of to-do list or because I had work or because I had other things going on. I couldn't actually focus enough to actually finish a prayer. And so I actually had to start working into this discipline of praying with my pen that I actually had a prayer journal, that I actually wrote out my prayers just so that I could stay focused and to actually finish a prayer. And man, that was something that once I started doing it, that was something I actually thirsted for, that I was ready to be home at night so that I could actually spend time with the Lord and I could actually just spend time with him and commune and pray to him and to be with him. I had a prayer journal. You literally can pick one up for less than $10 at Walmart. And it was something that that really helped encourage my faith, that I spent time in prayer. And prayer brings peace, not necessarily answers. Something else that I just came across the other day um, is on your YouVersion Bible app. On the home screen, you can actually scroll down a few swipes and there's a guided prayer section that they have on there now that at your own pace you can um it will give you different prayer prompts to think about because i may say guys prayer brings peace and you're like that's great what do i pray for this may be a good first step is that you just look up the bible app and find that guided prayer and see what it has you praying and just see if that's a great kickstart to your prayer life with the lord the third point that we're gonna bring out of this passage in Philippians, point number three, we need to train our thoughts. We need to train our thoughts. Christine Kane in her book, Unashamed, says that our thoughts, like a train, take us somewhere. She discovered that if she does not manage where she wants her thoughts to take her on a daily basis, then she will end up where she never wanted to be, asking the question, how did we end up here? Have you ever been there where your thoughts have just taken you somewhere that you didn't think you'd ever go and you've worked yourself up into moments of panic or, or just anxiousness in and of themselves and that, that anxiousness that is so paralyzing and gripping and you can't actually function because you're so worked up? Our thoughts can do that. After reading this book a couple years ago, I started putting into a practice that was uh, probably odd for most of you. If someone saw me in my car, I actually had to verbalize. If I had a moment where I was thinking thoughts that would take me down nowhere good, I actually had to verbalize, I'm not getting on that train. And I would say that to myself in my car. I would say that whenever I'm just in a room, I'm walking down the hallway. I would just randomly have to say that to remind myself that my thoughts take me somewhere. And I'm not going to get on that train. I was going to uh, Tokyo, Japan on a mission trip, and we were there for a couple weeks, and the way that we got around was public transportation through the subway. Uh, the neat thing about uh, Tokyo is that they don't have the alphabet, so it's all Asian symbols, and I don't speak Japanese. So we're on this subway, we're trying to navigate where to go, 
we kind of know where we're going for the most part, but our translator actually got us lost. And we got off the subway and we looked up and we're like, this is, uh, this is not home. <laughs> this is not where we're supposed to be. We were actually an hour away from home because we had gotten on the wrong train. And we like looked up and we, just, we didn't know enough about Tokyo, Japan to know that we were lost, but I just knew this didn't look familiar. And I'm looking around thinking, okay, okay well, where, where are we and how do we, how do we get here and how do we get back? And our thoughts kind of take us into that, that long road away from home. And it's like all of a sudden you've worked yourself into a moment where you're just like, how in the world did I get here? Our thoughts can do that if we're unharnessed. If we're not mindful about our thoughts, they're like a train that can take us somewhere that we never intended on going. Okay, so practically, how does this look? There's four things that we can do practically to help us in our moments of anxiety. The, one, the first thing is that we are in need of creating margin. We need to create margin. We need to allow ourselves to be bored. We need to allow ourselves to be bored. That is so foreign to us, right? One of the worst things for someone your age and younger is being bored. We don't like allowing ourselves to be there. But our brains actually need boredom to be healthy. When our brains experience the margin that comes with being bored, it actually allows us to better ourselves without being notified, pinged, or being consumed with noise because we're so overextended, right? We're so maxed out with zero margin. And whenever you talk to someone, especially at near the end of the school year, you're talking about how the week is going, how everything's shaping up, and everyone's so maxed out and overextended to the point that they're actually just trying to survive the week instead of actually thriving during the week. Like we're on survival mode. Has anyone been there before? Or you're just like, I'm just, I just need to stay vertical. That's it. That's my goal. And if I do that, then that's a win. It's because we don't have any margin. There's zero breathing room in our day for anything unplanned to happen. We need to create margin. It's this magical word. It's called no. You can say no to things. We keep saying yes, yes, yes. And we're actually saying no to the bigger, better yeses in our life because we keep saying yes to every little thing. We need to create margin. Allow ourselves to be bored. Create breathing room in your schedule where you can just sit and breathe and take it in and enjoy and commune with God. What would it look like if you created margin? Second thing that we need to do is we need to practice mindfulness. And we need to talk about this word mindfulness because it's kind of a buzzword now, has multiple definitions, but tonight this means to be fully present wherever you are. Fully present wherever you are. Be mindful about your attempts to multitask. Multitasking is not doing a lot of things well, it's doing a lot of things awful. 
Try monotasking. That's a thing where you just do one thing at a time. Be one place at a time. Just doing one thing at once is kind of a lost art that needs to be practiced. It's not just about being disciplined. It's about being mindful of where you're at currently. When you're home, you can be home. When you're here at youth group, we we want you to be here. The average American consumes about 10,000 messages in one day. We're so distracted, we're so pulled in different directions. And just being mindful of where you're at and being fully present at that place can help controlling your stress levels, it can help improve your sleep and even avoid illnesses. Some simple ways we can practice mindfulness is that we need to balance our screen time our FaceTime, and alone time. We need to have a balance of those things. Some other ways we can practice mindfulness, we just need to sit down and take deep breaths. Help yourself breathe deep. Whenever you're in moments of anxiousness, hearing yourself take deep breaths is very helpful. We need to commit to a regular technology fast. Everyone who's done this has done the same thing. At first, it was, at first it was really difficult. I didn't know how I was going to make it. But once I started doing it, I loved it. It was so great for me whenever I actually took a technology fast. This could look a couple different ways. It could be for an hour a day that you just block this time out. This is where I'm actually not going to be on my phone. I'm going to turn it off and put it away. It could be for a day of the week. It could even be for a week of the year. Uh, One other simple way to practice mindfulness um, is get eight hours of sleep every night. Did you know that before the light bulb, people on average would get 11 hours of sleep? That just sounds wonderful, first off. Like, what is that? What's that even like? But they were dependent upon the light of the day, and so after it was dark, there was nothing else to do. (laughs) You go to sleep, (laughs) 11 hours a day, man, we are trying to navigate life, and it's so difficult already, but we're trying to navigate life with little sleep. Another way that we can practice this is that we need to get moving. So much of our day involves us sitting, that if we actually get up and move, that we get up and take a walk, that we actually set a goal for ourselves physically, it can help release chemicals in our brain that actually help with anxiety, with depression, and actually help us um, in regulating moods. Another thing we need to do is manage the anxiety. We need to develop some coping skills. Things to know, if you're already bent towards anxiety, and you go about your day, what is your battle plan? What are you going to do whenever you have those moments of anxiousness? What are you gonna do whenever you have anxiety? We need to develop some coping skills, some things that we're going to do. One of those things that I would recommend is name your emotions. I had some friends who uh, had little girls 
about ages four and six, and the girls would get worked up pretty often whenever I'm over having dinner at their house, and the girls would come running to daddy, and they're worked up, and, and Max, one of my friends, he would, he would get down on the girl's level, and he would say, you're disappointed. And she would go, yeah. <laughs> but that was like helpful to her that like he was able to name her emotions, that she's gonna be able to identify Later on, this is an emotion I'm feeling, and I know that this isn't forever, but right now, I'm just really disappointed. Or right now, I'm really just frustrated. Right now, I'm just feeling overwhelmed. Right now, I'm just confused. Like, how scary is it for a little kid to be feeling such big emotions that we can actually put a name to it and actually disarm the emotion that we're feeling to know this is just temporary, this is just an emotion. It's not forever. But right now, I am just frustrated, or I am disappointed. I am sad. We need to name our emotions. We also need to learn our triggers. Are we more prone to anxiety when we're hanging around certain people doing certain things? Are we only triggered in certain seasons, certain situations, certain times of the day? Also, I would uh, recommend taking off social media notifications. That little red number that says, address me. I took the red notifications off my social media years ago and I would never go back because now I check social media on my time whenever I decide to. And I don't mindlessly scroll because I check social media whenever I have time. Also, I would recommend if there's moments of anxiety that is just, I, it's been a long road and I need help, it's okay to need help. And I would recommend talking to a counselor. I'm very much pro-therapy. I actually call my therapist my paid friend. We only hang out because I pay him. But <laughs> I think we'd hang out, I don't know. But I would recommend you, if you're going to therapy or thinking about going to therapy, that you go in with no walls, nothing to hide, because you are only gonna be as helped as you are honest. It's okay to go to therapy. It's okay to have a counselor. It's also okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. But we're here with you, and you're not alone. So lastly, I wanna wrap up the last verse of Philippians chapter four with verse nine, it's the promise. Paul wants us to keep our heart on the promise. The promise is this, that the God of peace will be with you. That the God of peace will be with you. He is indeed a good shepherd. And he has not just left us out into the open to deal with the anxiousness that we're feeling to just fend for ourselves. But he's a God that's with us and he holds the outcomes in the palm of his hand. And we have access to Jesus, the Prince of Peace. He is indeed a good shepherd. I wanna close our time together with a passage in Habakkuk chapter three. I'm just gonna read it over us. It says, though the fig tree does not bud, and there's no fruit on the vines. 
Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. See, Habakkuk stands firm and even rejoices not in his circumstances, but in the God who is exalted above any situation. God makes the prophet's feet like those of a deer so that he can scale the heights. And on the heights, he can see more clearly the power and love of God who strengthens him. So in the midst of our grief, in the middle of our anxiety, in our worry and stress, we know that those things do not have the final word. Jesus Christ is God's final word. That God knows the battle of your mind. He knows what's going on in your inner world and he's not disgusted with you. He's not frustrated that you feel anxious. He is not done with you if you're feeling depressed. He's not angry that you feel lonely. He's not annoyed with you or your neediness. He wants you to come to him as you are so he can surprise us with hope and grace and love of who he is. He's indeed a good shepherd. Let me pray for us. God, we are grateful for your word that we have. God, in just the example that we have in Paul, that he is assuring us that you, the God of peace, that you will be with us. And Lord, for the students or leaders here that is just feeling the weight of anxiousness, God, would you bring resolve? Would you bring your peace into those situations? God, we thank you that you are near, that you hear us, that you are with us. Thank you for the gift that we have in prayer. Total access to you. Lord, we love you and we thank you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen.